0: I, uh... In the last month or so, I've had a chance to reconnect with an old friend. And the old friend was someone I married. I knew as a single person. I married uh, probably in like 2008 or 9, And then uh, I hadn't seen him for about seven years. In 2010, moved to England with his wife uh, and then um, had been back for three years, but I haven't really been a part of of their life. I introduced them to this wonderful community of other young couples at the time, uh, many of which in in the last seven years have had two and even their third child, but they hadn't had a child. But I I reconnected with him last month over lunch, and it was so fun to get caught up. And as I was kind of saying, well, what's happened? Uh, He says, oh, man. Uh, I guess, yeah, and he, you could tell he was trying to figure out where to begin the story. Because uh, <clears throat> I knew their life kind of in England via Facebook and kind of from afar, but I hadn't heard what had happened since they got back. And he says, well, we got back and my my dad had committed suicide. Uh, wow, really? I, I had no idea. And he says, yeah, it was really hard because... Um, He had acquired all these gambling debts and he had kind of found this girlfriend and they just kept running off and his dad was stateside and they kept going over to Louisiana and accruing all these gambling debts. And then, you know, it was really hard because at the same time, my wife was having such a hard time getting pregnant. So we went in for a series of tests and we were looking into infertility and what it revealed was that she had some tubal cancer going on. And I, I mean, it's just one thing after another about how difficult their life has been. And then he paused and he says, uh, because I knew of his community. I knew who his friends were. There's uh, five other couples that are just star young couples who are now young families, um, all very dear friends. And he says, you know, I don't know what we would have done if it wasn't for our friends. And these were all friends that they met through the church. These were all friends that we had had a couples group together, that they had been in Bible study together. And now they were going through kind of life stage and phase changes together. Uh, And it was such a strong testimony of salvation becoming strength. You say, what does it mean for us to get saved how does salvation change my life in any way except that when we go through some of life's greatest darkest moments God shows himself in the tangibility of Christian community and for him for them it was the thing that helped them limp along he says we made it but I don't know what we would have done without it and he had this sort of profound indebtedness not just because he had great friends but because he could see God supplying for his every need surrounding him with this sort of cloud of comfort And I thought what a great testimony so over the next couple of months, our summer series, I want to explore the nature of our salvation. I want to talk about what does it mean when we say saved, get saved, because that is a loaded term that comes with so many different connotations. But I want to be as practical and tangible with the idea of what does it mean for us to, and this is what Paul wrote to the Philippian church, work out our salvation. Are you working out your salvation? Or is it something that he say, well, I said yes to Jesus years and years ago, and I still struggle with the same stuff. I keep waiting for God to do something else in my life. And I would say there's an active posture that we can take rather than just waiting for God to do something else. Maybe it's an active lens that we begin to see God's revelation differently. But I think when we talk about salvation, it's something from the inside out. It is something that happens in our behavior and our speech and we love differently because that happens too. But I think when we start to experience uh, our salvation, there's something that happens internally. And what's happening inside? It's in our heart, the place, the seat of our desires, of our motives, of our attitudes. It's the way we learn to love best because out of the overflow of our heart the mouth begins to speak. So this is what I want to spend some time doing and it's simply not being saved from something. Some of you grew up in a Christian tradition where you're feeling like the primary emphasis of your salvation was to be saved from going to hell and as long as you got kind of a Fire insurance, you were golden, except that as a very low view, I think there's other things that God wants to save us from. I think he wants to save you from perfectionism. I think he wants to save you from addiction. I think he wants to save you from loneliness. I think he wants to save you from fear and the need to control. There is a lot of salvation, but he also, get this, wants to save us to something. There is something more, something active, something attainable that God's inviting us into. I think He wants to save us to become people of gratitude. I think He wants to save us to become people who are able to trust, people who are generous, who express compassion. Because when we become people like that, saved more and more to the image of Christ, then we become part of God's salvation on earth. It's not just get me and mine. It's getting ours and them and including others in what God wants to do in restoring His creation. So there's a verse that um, at first confused me and it kind of sent me on a little bit of a study. And uh, it comes in uh, Exodus chapter 15. And it says this, and depending on what translation you read, and I would encourage you to r- pull out multiple translations. I started going into Greek, and I started going into Hebrew, and I wanted to figure out what does this word talk about? Because two versions say very different things. One version, and yours might say it this way, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation so we see that that the idea that salvation becomes a source of strength so I want to talk about how does salvation become a source of strength but as I began to read this in other translations it said the Lord is my strength and my defense he has become my salvation okay two words defense and song are words that I don't use synonymously (laughs) Defense and song are not words that I think about as interchangeable. So this created this curiosity. Now the Hebrew has the context around this about a source of power, but the the word literally talks about melodic praise. This is fascinating to me. Could we maybe even create a hypothesis around the idea that if, uh, but what if our praise and worship was also part of our defense? What if uh, we're supposed to find spiritual strength by coming together and declaring the promise of God, proclaiming the truths of God, adoring the nature of God as a part of the defense of our own heart? Would that change our approach and maybe even our prioritization of what worship does? God is my strength and my defense. God is my strength and my song. In him has become my salvation. I believe that there is strength that comes from our salvation. And what we start to imagine out of this text is that I think we find strength when we come together, not in just isolation, but in group. And we begin to have emotional and emphatic praise and worship. There is something that happens. If you've ever gone out with a friend or a group of friends and the conversation, or maybe you've watched too much news, and the conversation becomes inflammatory, accusatory, gossipy, negative, and you walk away almost with a heavy spirit. But if you get around someone who has infectious joy, like a Connie Nelson, if you get around someone who has kind of this optimism, if you get around someone who's profoundly in encouraging like my friend B Sterling he has a way of making you walk with a little bit more bounce in your step i would say when we come together in praise and worship and when we can actually put the rest of our life on the back burner and 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 realize what we're singing about it has a way of changing the spirit within us it has a way of healing the negativity it has a way of addressing the doubt and the fear and say that i'm with you if we would just emphatically and emotionally give ourselves to worship now some of you grew up in very stoic worship traditions maybe you grew up in a catholic tradition or maybe you grew up in a no eyes closed baptist tradition i don't know what your tradition was but i would simply say there is something more intimate that you could have ever imagined. There is something more profound that if you would walk into and release your heart, because most of us highly educated Western Americans come, and what we struggle with is a very analytical mind, as if we're going to worship on an empirical level. And I would just invite you to something greater. I would invite you to something deeper, because it's only when we let our hearts open up To the declaration to the promises to the truth of who God is that we can let the spirit begin to soften begin to comfort begin to heal begin to address some of the things that might be inhibitors Uh, keeping us from intimacy with God if you think about it the story that might illustrate this best do you remember the story of Joshua going into the promised land and there was Jericho this beautiful walled city in fact it was said that Jericho represented sort of the 10% of the promised land it was the first fruits they had been wandering around and just on the other side of the Jordan there was giants in the land. There was a fortified city that was sort of the jewel property of all the promised land. And God's saying, it's yours, take it. But they're like, uh, that's scary. He's like, I'm trust, trust me, it's yours, but you've got to go in. And, and what did they do? They marched around for seven days And on the seventh day, they marched seven times, blowing the trumpet, the ram's horn, and then shouting, and the walls came down. I think there is something that is inherent in how we declare and praise and offer up worship to God and just offering a joyful noise unto the Lord that opens our hearts and releases power from heaven. I want to talk tonight about how our salvation is a source of strength and where it starts, isn't some little foreplay to the message. What we've been doing in terms of declaring Christ, in terms of speaking the promises of God to each other, to myself, is actually strengthening the spirit within us. That's why it's so important for us to gather and do this. And so I would say praise and worship becomes our defense from believing the lies, from, from negativity. I think praise and worship, if we allow it, it's not automatic, becomes part of how we work through our impatience, maybe even some of our sarcasm, uh which psychologists would say is inward anger uh it's 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 healing some of the fears when we come and allow for worship to take its place in opening our heart up to the spirit of a living god now spiritual strength comes from christian worship um but part of working out our salvation is is includes expressing our gratitude to god here's the thing Because we set up in very passive environments, it's very easy to come into a row like you come into a lecture hall. And what I would say is this. It would be like seeing a long-lost friend, a family member who you haven't seen but you actually love, and you can't, and as you greet them, you do one of these numbers, Hey. There's nothing there. It feels unemotive. It's sort of like um, trying to get uh, someone who is non really expressive. Uh, We've tried to raise up verbal children because I need words, Uh, but there are other kids who have a hard time. All middle schoolers in the house just said amen. But it would be like seeing someone that you actually love and not even wanting to hug. It would be like cracking a smile. And so, when we have the chance to come together and open our hearts and worship, what we're really doing is saying, God, it is good to be in your presence. It is good to declare your worth over my life. And I need this moment to remind myself that there's something greater than me and there's something bigger than what I'm struggling with. In fact, the word comes to us out of the Greek meaning enthusiasm, and theos, God within. So when we come in worship, there's a chance that we get find strength. We find God within when we declare who he is. Now, um, there's something for, for 20 years, I have stood at altars with, I can't remember how many couples. It's not to say that they're not meaningful, but I've done a lot, a lot, a lot of weddings. And there's this thing in the back of my head, the don't crack a joke here, don't say anything. But when I get to the vows... And when you start to recite the vows, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, in the back of my mind, my inner voice is going, you have absolutely no idea what you're saying yes to right now. But we're gonna go ahead and act like you do and say it anyway, because they're just looking with Pollyanna in each other's eyes, right? And I'm not gonna squash that. But in my mind, I'm going, you have no idea what's going on here. But here's the thing. You're not saying I do to a better life. When you choose to stand at an altar and get married, it's not so that I can have a better life. You're saying I do to a person. And so it is when we come into relationship with Christ. I don't stand at an altar and say I do Jesus so that my life will be better. Oftentimes it feels harder because my expectation is different than what God would do in my life or speak into my life. But what I'm saying yes to is a love relationship with my savior that would do a work in me and allow me to exist, not alone. So he solves the loneliness thing and he solves the comfortability saying, I will comfort you in the midst of all of it. See, that's what happens when we walk into relationship with Christ. God doesn't necessarily make it better. He doesn't make us healthier, prosperous or happier it does mean we're not alone. And when we can move from me to we in our relationship with Christ, we find strength at the center of that because simply my life is not my own. Now there's a second part of this verse that I thought was curious. And it says this, um, so it says, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. But it says, and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. Now, the question that you raise here when you read this is how does worship affect anything why is God in so in need of my worship is there anything I can do to bring greater glory to God to which I would say "Uh uh-huh yes there is a couple of things about this passage first the timing this is exodus 15 what's happened leading up to this I don't know 400 years of slavery and captivity they sent a ser- God sent a series of plagues, Pharaoh, against his better judgment, said, okay, I'll lose all of my labor force, and release you to go, and then he goes, they start heading out, and they're standing on the sh- shore of the Sea of, uh, the Red Sea, and then Pharaoh's like, wait a second, what was I thinking, and he's like, no, go after them, it was sort of like this Jedi mind trick, like, these are not, The droids you're looking for these are not the slaves that you want and then all of a sudden he goes oh my gosh i gotta go get them back and then the sea parts and they walk through and then the sea closes and they're delivered right just prior to this they had gone through the passover they had gone through this you know god's provision god's protection god's deliverance and here you have in exodus 15 what's called moses and miriam's song we in the middle of this profound narrative, you've got a song for me, or maybe it might be considered a melodic poem, but it seems weird place, except that you have Passover and the ritual around that, and then you have this miraculous thing. It's almost like this Selah moment, this I'm catching my breath, I'm, I'm waiting here, and in the middle of this grand narrative, it's needed because that's the only place that they can truly express emotionally what they feel. Imagine watching a really tender scene with no film score. There's something about music, there's something about song that draws us in emotionally to what God is doing. He interrupts the narrative with song and he gives it a whole chapter. I think that's really significant for us to see. Now, uh, uh, the thing that's, that comes out of this, and again, I'm talking about how worship becomes a source of strength. Now, we bring it in and melodic praise. We talk about it as Davidic praise, where we come and declare the promises of God. But it's something far greater than an hour of church. I think we worship God with our lives. I think this becomes a source of strength in our lives. And worship as a source of strength when it becomes a lifestyle. So what do I mean by that? Well, there's seven rhythms that we can start with. Spiritual practices that become tangible ways that we can know Christ, have Him formed in us, but express them in really tangible ways. But in the Hebrew, there was a phrase that's super important for us to understand. And the phrase talked about beautifying um, the commands of God. It was called Hidur Mitzvah. Mitzvah was the word commands. Now, it's really important to understand that in the Hebrew mindset, when you heard the word commands, it didn't have a negative. In fact, it had the opposite. It was a positive thing in the eyes of a Hebrew listener. So whenever you read about the law or the commands in Scripture, it doesn't mean it in terms of a legal term. What God designed and God in, 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 the, um, in the Pentateuch the, or the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, had 613 commands. These were called the mitzvah. They were simply ways that we could live in harmony with each other, harmony in business, harmony with the environment, but harmony with God, so that there wasn't this sense of shame, fear, and regret being the prevailing narrative of our lives. So he gives us the mitzvah, as this positive way to live in harmony with God. And so when we talk about worship, the word is always used in a positive way, suggesting that doing what God has asked us is both a joy and a spiritual opportunity, but it's not a burden. How many are familiar with the writing in 1 John 5, 3? I remember reading this, and it hit me like a brick wall. It said this, this is love for God, that you would obey my commands. And I just went, ah like just being deflated. But then he says, oh, and by the way, my commands are not burdensome. Let me back up. So he's saying, and this is love for God, that you would obey my mitzvah, that you would learn in such a way of the spiritual opportunity, the spiritual strength, the privilege to walk without shame, fear and regret, to walk in harmony with me, And that shouldn't even be a burden. It's like being in love, and I get to do this. I love my son, and this week his car broke down. And I recognize that I'm losing my son off to college in just a couple of months. I got to drive him around. He became less independent, and I got to share his morning and evening commute a couple of times. That was not a burden. That was just a joyful opportunity for a dad who's got detachment issues. (laughs) (laughs) You see what I'm saying? So we get these prompts to respond with the good deeds, with with the sort of commands, if you will, of the Spirit leading us. This is where when we begin to identify God's character and nature through praise and worship, then it starts to inform how we live the rest of our lives. generosity, in compassion, as people of hope, as people of justice, this is where it becomes transformational, and this is where the church gets to shine the brightest now, let me just finish one word because I want to bring familiarity to this idea of mitzvah. This is super important so that when we understand mitzvah meaning commands, it's really good works. Now, Paul wrote to the Ephesians and, and he started talking about it and sound, see if these things sound familiar. Christians from uh, a lot of traditions get really worried when you try and say there's, there's something about doing works because no, we're saved by faith alone or by grace alone, and I would agree, but thinking that it's way better to be saved by grace It's really important that we are redeemed by faith, but not uh, by our actions. But listen what Paul says as we kind of learn the correct attitude from Paul. For it is by grace, this is Ephesians chapter two, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith And this not from yourselves it is a gift from God not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's workmanship the word there would mean in Greek translated poema it would be you are God's masterpiece you are God's song you are God's poem for you are God's workmanship created here it is in Christ Jesus to do mitzvah what To do good works, which God has prepared in advance for you. This week, there are moments that are generous moments prepared in advance for you. There are compassionate moments God has prepared in advance for you this week. That your life can express and declare through just your good works, God's living presence. There are people in your neighborhood who are are, are about to divorce. And you will find moments where you can be comfort. There are moments all the time, and this week, God has predestined us for this kind of mitzvah. It's how we find our strength in being a part of God's salvation story. Paul says that salvation does not come by earning it, but through a free gift. The very next thing he says is that doing good works is the very purpose for which we are created. And I would contend This is a source of strength for us.